welcome to the Time Shifters podcast. This show discusses film and television from the long and recent past as well as the news and events surrounding them. We thank you for tuning in and would love to hear from you. Follow the link in the show notes to all our social media and websites, or send us an email to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. Everyone, and welcome back to Time Shifters. This is your host, Christopher, here with my awesome co-host, Tom. Tom, how you been? I'm awesome, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> you so, are. Why, thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, hey, we would not have a show if not for you, because I would not be able to do this by myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, where, what would be the fun in, uh, in finding out whether or not somebody else also likes what you like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not as much fun shouting into the void by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> then we have to start wondering what's up with Chris. Why is he doing this? <laughs> and, well, and speaking of why am I doing this and shouting into the void, as we record this, I am actually celebrating 12 years of doing just that. <sighs> that is crazy. 12 years 12 ago... Years. Tom, uh, no, 12, 12 <laughs> years ago, Steve Floyd and I sat down in a small office on UC's campus oh, wow. and recorded our thoughts on the Russell T. Davies era of the uh, return of Doctor Who. Wow. That was our first episode. To all our fellow listeners, UC refers to University of Cincinnati. Oh, yes. <laughs> Uh, from there, I think we did uh, back and forth between uh, online Skype recordings and in-person recordings, usually just Steve and I, occasional uh, guests. And then Floyd came on full-time uh, through the show, talked about whatever we wanted to talk about, you know, all kinds of different sci-fi movies, TVs, topics in general, and we kept it going. The show faded. It came back. And it faded, <laughs> and it came back. <laughs> As somebody has a, who, who has only been here for the past two years, has it always been under the Time Shifters banner? No, it has not. When we first started it, we were involved in a website called Jonja.net, which was a, just an online forum. Sure. And we took effectively what we were doing in the forum and turned it to audio. And so we were just the Jonja.net podcast. And that's the uh, the moniker we ran with for many years. I don't know exactly how many. Hmm. It wasn't until it w when that sort of faded, and then we wanted to bring it back and try again. That's when we brought in uh, time shifters. Nice. So it, it was the same host. It was Steve and I. So and then and then Floyd. So it was effectively the same hosts. It was just a kind of a rebranded show. All right. Yeah, and then that kind of started to fade, and I brought Steve and Floyd, and then Shonda joined us for a while, so we had a, a, a female perspective. That was a lot of fun, especially when we were talking things like, uh, you know, some of The Walking Dead, and she was talk. Uh, she and Steve, I think, were watching um, oh, one of the other vampire series. Can't think of it right now. One of those CW ones. Yeah, those type of things. Okay. It might not have been CW. It might have been an HBO or Showtime. I, I don't recall, but okay. uh, oh, probably, that was always fun. Uh, oh, 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 oh. Um, True Blood, probably. That doesn't sound right. No? no that would have been about the right time. It was about the right time, but I don't know if that was the one or not. But 
yeah, we had a lot of fun. It was a good time. And then, of course, yeah, the, the show faded again. And then I, I just started jonesing to keep doing it. And that's what I brought in Matt. And Matt did it for a few years. And he got busy and then wanted to go and focus on his own show as well. And that's where you came in. And so here we are. Now that we're in that's the glory days of the show. The 12-year history in a nutshell. Congratulations. It's unfortunately now it's like a little bit of an addiction or something like that. I'm not sure I can quit if I wanted to. (laughs) What would you do with your time? (laughs) You'd be watching all this stuff with nobody to talk to about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what I would be doing. Uh, Of course, during this time, I was also and still am hosting Orphan Entertainment. We'll, We'll be celebrating 10 years this October on that show. But that's just once a month, and it's limited in, a, in its subject matter just being public domain films. So, there, yes, it, there's a lot of movies I watch where it's like, okay, I want to talk to someone about this, but <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't fit in, the, uh, in that show. So I, I need to have this show so I can talk about whatever the hell I want. This way you can feed the beast by feeding me. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually thinking this is actually a great time to... Uh, bring up many ways that our listeners can help support the show. First and easiest thing that you can do is share the show. Use whatever social media platforms you may use and let your friends know what you are listening to. If you like it, they might like it too. If you don't use social media, word of mouth works, as does email. Just spread the word. Rate and review the show. Apple Podcasts is still the best place to do, to do this. But you now have the ability to do so on Spotify. I think if you listen to like five shows or something, five episodes of a podcast on Spotify, it'll let you rate and review it or something like that, I think is how it's working. That's nice. Um, You can go to places like podchaser.com and leave a rating and review. All these ratings do help uh, potentially get the show into more ears. And they are appreciated. You can actually support us financially in some small ways. While our show will always be free to our listeners, it does cost money to produce them. Server fees, website renewals, the occasional purchase of equipment and software, rental fees of review materials, all are expenses in creating the show. We have a couple ways for you to help. One is to visit the Tee Public Store, preferably through the link on our website at timeshifterspodcast.com or from the link tree in the uh, show notes and purchase a shirt, mug, sticker, or other merchandise, and a portion of that sale comes back to us. And if you buy one of the items with our logo on it, bam, you're sharing the show. So you get a win-win. You get something cool to wear or use, and it helps support the show. And let's face it, our logo is pretty damn cool. We've got some neat ones out yes. there. I've we've got the, uh, I've got the, the uh, time shifter swirl that I was using for a while. And now we've switched over to the kind of the blockbuster themed logo. You can buy a T it looks really good on the blue t-shirt. I have one. It, it, I really like it. And it causes people to do that double take. Did I just, <laughs> was that supposed to say blockbuster? What is time shifters? And how can I get involved? Exactly. Where'd you get that t-shirt? What's time shifters? Well, there you go. There's a way to share the show. There's an even simpler way is to buy us a coffee. You can follow the link again via the website or the link tree and visit ko That's K-O hyphen F-I dot com. 
And there you can make a one-time donation or set up a recurring donation. Every dollar and cent helps. And finally, contact us. Send us an email. Let us know what you think of the show or a particular episode. If we covered a movie or TV series that you really enjoy or really dislike, well, we want to hear about it. Don't worry if you're behind and catching up on old episodes or maybe you're just cherry-picking based on the topics. It could have been a couple weeks ago, a month, even years. We don't care. We want to know your thoughts. Type us out an email or use the recording software available on your phone or computer and send us an MP3 or WAV file. It doesn't necessarily help get the word out, but it does make us feel good. <laughs> we like talking about it every now and then. And we like hearing people's thoughts on the show. I mean, that is... As I was saying, you often feel like you're shouting into the void. And when you, we, when you get the occasional, even if it's an echo, <laughs> if, it, if it's just someone saying, I agree, at least you know someone heard you. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I am terrible on the show about uh, letting people know about things like that. And I, I feel like I need to get better at it. And so this was a great time to actually just make a little section of the show and uh, explain all the different ways that you guys can help. Besides, I keep finding as I watch various things or listen to various things that, uh, yeah, the, the, the self-promotion and the, and all that that can occur. Heck, I, I do a yoga session where the guy self-promotes while he's te- teaching you <laughs> yoga. Uh, like, if he can do it, we can do it. So, And <laughs> folks, just stop us from queuing up a Sarah McLaughlin song and, and telling you to to adopt Chris because, <laughs> because he needs your attention. <laughs> and, and, and if he needs your attention, I need it too. So help us out. Yes, we are needy, needy people. <laughs> yes, that's entirely us. <laughs> what is podcasting if not just... Hey, listen to me! Seeking for reaffirmation. Hey, everybody, look over here! (laughs) That is pretty much it. Yeah, so at least occasionally, come and join us in some fashion, financially or otherwise, to, to participate in the activities that we do. It makes it more fun anyway. Yes, please, please do. Uh, I don't have anything else to talk about at the top of the show. Uh, I have um, not been watching as much as I was watching a couple weeks ago. I don't have all that much to report on. I, I, I don't either, other than um, I have be- rekindled my obsession with WKRP in Cincinnati. <laughs> well, that's worth rekindling your obsession with. That's a fantastic series. Uh, and, and, and actually, as I'm now into the second season... I marvel at how much social commentary was going on during the show that, at the time, I probably didn't even think about. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I need to get into it again. I got the um, the complete series when it was finally released, re-released, with the music intact. They went through all the trouble of getting the licensing and everything for all the music so they could put the, the real music back in. Because I had, like, the first season, but all the music had been replaced. Right. And then they finally released the entire series with all the original music uh, put back into the show. And I haven't really uh, dove into that set yet, uh, other than um, 
not this past year, but the year before, we watched the uh, Thanksgiving turkey drop episode during Thanksgiving. So Yeah, I, I know that'll be a new uh, annual thing that I do. Um, and, and I was pleasantly surprised to find out that I didn't even realize at the time. There's Christmas episode. Oh, is there? There is. Uh, I don't recall. Yeah, there's There's uh, so like, much of that series. I used to watch that series all the time, and I guarantee you there is so much I don't remember. So, uh, yeah, no, I highly encourage revisiting. Uh, but no, like, uh, I had just yesterday watched an episode where Travis's sister comes in from out of town, and Venus takes her out for the day, and it gets into an entire racial conversation about... Oh, I vaguely remember that yeah. now that you mention it. Yeah, because despite the fact that a Andy and Venus are like supposed to be best friends, um, as soon as it appears that Venus is dating his sister, that that ugly little uh, racist element comes into play, and they struggle with that a bit. And but they do it in such a way that it's hard not to laugh at them while you're doing it. So. It was still a very fun episode, but yeah, well, I, I've been obsessed with it. And this takes me back to the days when everything had a theme song and <laughs> WKRPs is so good. Oh, yeah. That not only do I not never skip the intro, but I sing along. <laughs> <laughs> I was driving my son crazy with it th this weekend because I just can't. Baby. Have you if you've wondered, ever wondered, wondered whatever became of me. me, I'm living on the air in Cincinnati, Cincinnati, Cincinnati WKRP. Got kind of tired of packing and unpacking, town to town, up and down the dial. in a while I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati no, the, that introduction the entire introduction the very beginning even when you have like the before the song even starts you got the radio flipping and you get the great shots of uh, Fort Washington Way in downtown Cincinnati and all those little clips and everything and weather today in the greater Cincinnati area I love you so badly they're solid plastic, so don't settle for imitation. But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Interestingly enough, and have being able to watch them back to back to back like this, that only ran for half of the first season. Oh, did it? It did, yeah. They did that in intro where you're riding in the car and they're t tuning in to WKRP. Right. Um, that only plays for like the first ten episodes, and then from there out, then they go. And that was prior to them having cuts of the characters in the intro, because mm -hmm. that was just straight city scenery during right. that see that part. But by the time they get to the mid-season, they switch it over to have cuts of the individuals. And that's also when it changes the format slightly to you get a little bit of the episode and then you oh, go into they, the music. They stopped with the cold open kind of or 
vice versa. I forget. Okay, yes, I understand what you what you're. Yeah, right. But the, I, I didn't realize that they had done that. I thought at least it would have made it through the entire first season before changing over. But no, they 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 cut it in the middle there. I don't know if you've made it to the episode yet, and you could correct me if I'm wrong. But I want to say there is a episode where Les Nessman is effectively trapped in some guy's biplane circling (laughs) circling the city i forget the whole gist of it he's effectively holding him hostage just it wants people to um to know or remember him or something like that and if he's not he's just going to crash the plane run out of gas and crash the plane and so Demi Kirby calls on all the other radio stations to start you know get everyone in their cars to start honking their horns and if I if I'm right if I remember correctly, they actually got a lot of local uh, Cincinnati talent at the time to do their spots. So oh, it's wow. like on their radio. That's pretty cool. It's for the, for their plea for to to save Les Nessman. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't. I haven't seen that one yet, and I, I I don't. I can't even say that I remember that episode. So yeah, I can't wait to get to that then. The but, one that I that stands out, I. I'm, I, I hope I'm right because I want to say I remember uh, Robin Wood, who was uh, one of the radio hosts on the uh, WEBN back in the day. Oh, yeah, no, Robin Wood. I remember. Yeah, was one of the voices. Very distinct voice. Loved her voice. So I, I'm, I'm almost positive that was in that episode. Wow. Okay. I'm definitely going to have to look for that. Yeah, I don't think they actually were able to like throw out their the radio call signs. They just had the actual personalities, you know, kind yeah, of do the a persona- thing. Yeah, because uh, they didn't everything uh, everything about Cincinnati, other than the name of a few places, the Reds and the Bengals. Everything else in KRP is pretty much fictitious. Yes, I do remember in um, when they did their kind of memorial episode for the Who tragedy which took place in Cincinnati in yeah. uh, 1979. Yeah. Uh, I do remember that episode. Remember that was that a very episode. powerful episode, that ending of that of that episode. I, I can still see that ending, like the candlelight vigil and the, and the, just the, uh, the quiet scrawl of uh, uh, memorializing uh, the people that lost their lives. Yeah, no, I, I, that one always sticks out. The Thanksgiving one sticks out. Um, I, I don't even know the gist of the episode, but there's one I haven't caught up to it yet uh, where I remember that they had to they had to actually go to the transmitter. <laughs> the bomb scare. The bomb scare. Yeah. OK. Two parter. That was a two parter, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I already went through a two parter where, where uh Johnny supposedly got a job back in California, and that one Ooh, was a little right. anticlimactic. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the show—oh, it's just so good. <laughs> Bailey or Jennifer? Oh, I'm totally a Bailey. Oh, same. Yeah, no, totally a Bailey. She was adorable. The thing I can't get, and I—I I, I know that she was considered the bombshell of the day. Um, but Lonnie Anderson, Lonnie Anderson, and, and the fact that she was Burt Reynolds' girl and all right. that. Um, but I can't get past the hair helmet that she. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I, I'm not saying that the smile isn't worth a, a gajillion dollars and, and that she doesn't have a cute figure, but uh, but that hair helmet, I swear to God, they have so much hairspray in that thing that bullets would ricochet off of her hair. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, ba- Bailey was always just so cute and so approachable. <laughs> No, and fun. smart. That, that, oh, yes. No, because uh, I did also just recently catch the episode where Johnny thought he was hearing God. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he was struggling to find somebody to talk to about religion. And he starts co- talking to Bailey. And she literally starts pulling out everything from everybody's religious background ever. And <laughs> he is like... No, I can't. I can't take this. <laughs> I thought I was the crazy one. <laughs> like, yeah. No. It's just so it, it's just silly. It it you can it turn your brain off and just enjoy. And then to revisit the music and all yes. that. It's just so good. And listen to the last report on Chai Chai Wadriguiz. It's amazing how early that was. That's like second or third episode. Is it? <laughs> yeah. I, I had to explain that one to my, my son because he had missed it. And, and I'm like, yeah, no, because he was like, what's Les's deal? <laughs> I'm like, what do, you, what do you call those small dogs? Chihuahuas? <laughs> but yeah, all, all of the news things that he misses because he spends more time on the hog reports. <laughs> Well, he was a, what, five-time winner of the Silver Sal. <laughs> no, 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 no. He only wore the Silver Sal once. It's five-time winner of the Buckeye Newshawk oh, Award. Newshawk Award. That's it. That's right, folks. Time Shifters has now become the WKRP podcast. <laughs> WKR podcast. Ah, we can do it. <laughs> There's got to already be one. How could there not? <laughs> yeah. Cut, check us next week on our spinoff. <laughs> that's, that's all I need. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Cincinnati, it is time for this town to get down. I almost forgot, fellow babies. Booger! Well, I think with that, we will take a short break. We will listen to a podcast, maybe for WKRP. Who knows? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> when we get back, we are going to take a look at a film called Biggles Adventure in Time. How to continue a television series after a major actor has left the cast. Part 2. The Blake 7 Method. Remove the character from the scripts. Introduce a new replacement character. Eventually, few of the original characters will be present, and the series will barely resemble its original form. For more about British science fiction television, listen to the British Invaders podcast. www.britishinvaders.com
have the correct time. It's 11.16, exactly. Must be a mistake. It should have happened by now. I'm James Bigglesworth. My friends call me Biggles. Jim, Ferguson. Come on! That was 1917. Time travel is not unknown in history. Why me? I think Biggles is your time twin. You again? I want some answers. Quick, untie us. Get us out of here before they start realizing you're not a god, you're just an American. This is getting crazier, you know. Debbie, stay away. You gotta stay away. I keep going back to 1917. Where'd you come from? I have no idea. It's that hole in time, it keeps happening to me. Apparently, the hole in time goes both ways. It opens when one or the other is in mortal danger. Let's kick some ass. Biggles, the adventure begins one step back in time. Biggles' Adventure in Time is based on a series of novels by W.E. Johns, and this film was released in England in 1986, just as Biggles, and then saw a U.S. release as Biggles' Adventure in Time in 1988. 1980s salesman for a catering company, Jim Ferguson, played by Alex Hyde White, is visited by a strange man, Peter Cushing, in his last feature film role. The man inquires if anything has unusual had happened to Jim that night. Well, Jim politely but quickly excuses himself and returns to his apartment. Suddenly a flash of mysterious energy hits Jim and he finds himself in a war zone in 1917. A biplane crashes nearby, and he helps the pilot, one James Biggles Bigglesworth, played by Neil Dixon, from the wreckage. Learning only that Biggles was on a photo recon mission, Jim is flashed back to his apartment in the present day. When Jim is again sent back to the past and returned disheveled during the launch party of his company's new product, he jets off to London to meet with the, with the old man, where William Raymond explains that Jim and Biggles are time twins and the two men travel back and forth in time whenever the other is in mortal danger. Biggles and Jim have to work together across the time zones to stop the Germans from developing a deadly sonic weapon and changing the course of World War I. The director, John Hoff, uh, also directed the hammer horror classic Twins of Evil, and he directed two of my favorite Disney films, Escape to Winch Mountain and Watcher in the Woods. You gotta admit, the guy's got range. <laughs> Just admit. As we were talking last time, this was a first time watch for both of us. I had heard of this film mainly because I had listened to another podcast who has mentioned it on a few occasions. Didn't really know much about it. It wasn't until I started looking through the lists of time travel films that I kind of re- 
discovered that Biggles was a time travel adventure. Uh, from what I gather, the books on which it was based had nothing to do with time travel. The books are just World War One flying ace adventure kind of things. Actually, uh, about Biggles. About Biggles, exactly. Uh, I think it was the uh, success of Back to the Future that got the studio to go, yeah, that sounds great. Can we throw in time travel? <laughs> more, A more story of studio interference. Yeah, yeah. I, it's hard to believe. Seriously, uh, when when was Back to the Future? Uh, that was just about this time. 85. So Back to the Future is 85. This is 86. Mm-hmm. From overall look and effects, I'd have put this 10 years prior. <laughs> <laughs> it felt... It felt a little early 80s. It was definitely 80s. This film it is totally 80s. so 80s. Right from the beginning with the neon and the, the, the music. Abusively 80s. <laughs> <laughs> you know, weirdly, I kind of like the anachronistic soundtracks when they do that in films. I'm thinking uh, like Excalibur. Wasn't it Excalibur that kind of had the heavy metal soundtrack? Yeah. Uh, there was a more recent one with uh, uh, Heath Heath Ledger, didn't that one? Sure, yeah. No, there was uh, oh, what was the the night thing? Uh, yes, yeah. it was it was the medieval night thing, but it had like modern music. Yeah, but how, how do you get uh, yes knockoff band synthesizer music paired with World War One? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Oh, it matters. I don't know. I kind of dug it. I kind of liked the music, especially when it was playing during the World War I scenes. Yeah, it's just that they had like two songs. And the hero song was always played when they were in something that was flying. <laughs> and I don't know. It worked for me. That one was a little more like a drill to the back of the head for me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We we don't have to agree all the time. uh, No, and I, just from what I gather from what you've already said, what you've hinted out before, uh, the the few texts that you sent while you were watching the film, (laughs) I, I think overall we are going to more or less disagree on this episode. And that is fine, because, uh, 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 ladies and gentlemen, I texted him, this is a weird-ass film. <laughs> <laughs> that I will agree with you. It is a weird-ass film. But I kind of dug it. Overall, I I enjoyed it. All right. Give me your finer points. Why? <laughs> It was just, I think because of sort of the nonsensical nature of it all, what's explained is explained as much as it needed to be for the plot. Well, why am I traveling through time? Uh, You're falling through a time hole. That's all you get. (laughs) And apparently uh, Biggles is your time twin. Right. (laughs) Whatever the hell a time twin is. How Peter Cushing's character... uh, Raymond, William Raymond, comes to this conclusion, comes to this discovery. We don't know. Doesn't matter. It is what it is. 
by the way, uh, Peter Cushing's not 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 to fault the man in any way, but he's clearly supposed to be a character of both times. How old is exactly he's supposed to be? <laughs> he looks pretty good for someone that's got to be pushing a hundred. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> you figure for him to know any of what's going on, we're going to call late late 20s, early 30s, back in 1914. 17, 17. 17, okay, 1917. Okay, well, I, you know, three years. I don't want to mess it yeah, up. Yeah, so, no, there's still a 70-year difference between the time zones here. <laughs> so, yes, he was Biggles' commanding officer, so that has to put him... At easily around 100. Yeah. <laughs> minimum. Minimum. Because usually commanding officers aren't hovering at their early 20s. Yeah, so. well, he, maybe he was like Jim Kirk, and he was, you know, he sure. he was the youngest man to get the, that, that rank or something like that. Sure. Uh, and, hey, it was the war, man. I mean, <laughs> lots of people dying. This, no, he could have no, been in his no, 20s. That, that, that is fair. I mean, the commanding officers came up pretty quick between World War One, World War II, because... Yep. By sheer necessity, uh, I, I, I grant that. But either way, by the time he's actually supposed to be interacting with our... And, and, and this is the one of the things that weirds me out, especially knowing that this comes from... It's based off of a series of novels that do center around the character Biggles. Mm-hmm. The movie is called Biggles Adventure in Time. Biggles is the secondary character in this in this particular film. Certainly in the first half of the film. In the first half of the film, for sure, this is the Jim Ferguson story. Absolutely. Um, and then you're right. Uh, it kind of starts to move a little more toward that. But then that lays waste to what the first half of the film <laughs> was that was supposed to be setting you up to care about Ferguson. And now we don't care about Ferguson. He takes the backseat to everything. He just happens to be Biggles' connection to the 1980s. <laughs> One of the other things that I, I liked about the film is it didn't spend a whole lot of time with people trying to figure out what the hell is going on. They quickly accepted the reality and moved forward. I think that's the British component of this. You think, oh, that's possible. That keep calm, carry on kind mm -hmm. of mentality. Um, yeah, because some of this, especially anything related to the time travel stuff, um, smacked of like Doctor Who kind of style. Because it was just, sure, that happens. But let's get to the adventure part and not worry about where the hell you came from or why. It, it, it has that feeling like as soon as a companion gets introduced to the doctor and they're off on their adventure, there is no more question about, uh, well, how does time travel work and how did this happen? And what? Oh, my God, I'm here. And there, none of that happens. You just carry on with the story. And that's what this movie did. I think the closest we get in this movie is when Debbie gets pulled back in time with uh, with Jim at one point. And just prior, and she's he's trying to tell her what's happening. She 
doesn't really believe him, wants him to get psychiatric help. He flashes and she grabs hold of him. They go back in time together. And when she's there, yeah, they're in the trenches. She doesn't know what the hell's going on. Um, at one point, she's uh, yelling at uh, German officers to like contact the U.S. Embassy. <laughs> We're <laughs> Americans. Uh, she's the closest you get. But eventually, even she like accepts the reality. And yeah, when forward. she ends up kind of in the thick of it, uh, mm-hmm. it kind of she kind of drops the whole pretense. Yeah, and takes control of the situation at at one point too. Yeah, when uh, when the one German officer starts getting rough with her, he's like, "Look, here's my passport. Here's what he throws it to the ground." It's like, "Okay, you're gonna be that way." It also has my mace. <laughs> it sprays him in the face. <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, I love it." <laughs> That part was cute. I think uh, part of her being pulled into was to set us up for the the huge mulligan moment later, <laughs> where where the helicopter also travels. <laughs> well, we it had been um, established that Jim could carry things forward and back with him if he was in contact with them. Yeah, but an entire helicopter? <laughs> I mean, after all, uh, the the way that the movie uh, treats the time travel part is he's essentially struck by lightning, mm-hmm. and, and that's when he goes. And I, I, I think it's just standard uh, fair to accept that whatever's on his body and whatever he's touching at the time m- might come through. But this gets into that whole, and, and I, I, I love thinking about this at times because uh, you get like those Star Trek episodes where people are out of phase. Mm, yeah. So they can pass through things, but then why don't they fall through the floor right. kind of stuff? Um, it, this gets into that. What exactly is the perimeter of touch? Well, I, I have I have an excuse oh, for why uh, please, for please. why the helicopter traveled back is because he and Biggles were in the it was, it was a double whammy. That's why the helicopter went back. The thing at the start is he tra- does the traveling, right? It was never clear that Biggles was going to be doing any of the traveling. Well, as explained by William Raymond, it's when. The other is in mortal danger. Up to that point, Jim Ferguson was in no danger. He didn't need any help. It was that final, like, midway through the film when suddenly the SWAT team is after him that he's actually truly in mortal danger, and that's when Biggles is transported. So they and the helicopter go back in time when all of a sudden Ferguson's about to crash the helicopter. Is that what we're saying? Sure, that could be. Great. It's now the best movie ever. (laughs) Uh, No, I mean, I'm not saying that this wasn't a whole lot of fun to watch, because it was fun to watch, but it was kind of like, what the hell am I watching? (laughs) Kind of fun to watch. So, um, Okay, so so we are in agreement on a couple couple different things then, because, yeah, I I, I feel the same way. It is is insane. Yeah, but I no, found it, it so much fun, and that alone made me enjoy it. No, and, and, and I find enjoyment in all sorts of things. So I, I agree that it's a, that it's at least worth the watch just so you could go, what the hell was that? 
Um, uh, but you're never going to turn me on, on the music part. <laughs> the, 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 the synthesizer stuff was just starting to become a cheese grater on my soul. <laughs> like, come on. At least come up with some other things to throw in. Maybe there. I was taken more by the scene itself than even the music that was playing over it because the scene where it really plays and really stands out to me is the uh the dogfight between the two biplanes. Yeah. I find that to be some really impressive flying. And those are like legit like World War One planes. So you're dealing with 70-something-year-old biplanes doing stunt flying through woods, inches off the ground, uh, in, a, in a mock dogfight. I was impressed with that. That looked awesome. Top gun, schmott gun. Who needs that? <laughs> um, no, I won't, I won't discount the, uh, especially World War One. I. I mean, the, those kinds of planes are hard not to be a little in love with anyways, because the fact that anybody went up and actually shot at each other in, in those things uh, was just a, an amazing thought, because, I mean... Wooden canvas? Of, yeah, yeah, they're wooden canvas and, and a couple of wires. Um and an engine hanging out the front. Uh, yeah, no. Anyone that was in there, but since you brought up the flying, <laughs> and we've already mentioned that a helicopter does a little bit of time traveling. I was going to mention that this film does break the cardinal rule of asking me to believe more than one impossible thing. Yes, exactly. So... So especially since you did bring up the uh, the soft with camel and, and all that, the fact that uh, our our hero Biggles climbs into the cockpit of a helicopter and announces to Ferguson that if you've flown a soft with camel, you can fly anything. I'm like, no, you cannot. <laughs> Definitely not a helicopter. As I un- as I understand it, helicopters are some of the most difficult. Things to fly. Yes, no, uh, they are in completely another league uh, to this day. Uh, lots of people even go, the physics of helicopters kind of doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> but that all that said, uh, it, it takes, it, it is a different skill set to fly a helicopter than it is to, uh, to fly a plane, especially since there are more than one controls and they all do different stuff. It's not like in a plane where, okay, you just put put power to the engine and pull back on stick. Yes. On a helicopter, I think you have effectively three main controls. You've got... Uh, foot controls. Foot which... controls. Gosh, I, I actually knew this and now I, I don't remember. But yes, you have a uh, you have a throttle for you know this actual speed, the forward and back. You've got the stick to control your... Like, Elevation, the, yeah, the elevation, and then the in the feet are left and right, or the turn, I guess. The, the they, they turn of the, the tail of a, a yeah. of the helicopter for orientation. So mm-hmm. yes, you, you you have to fly from three different axis points all the time, right? Um, especially since it is a vertical takeoff. So um, yeah, so the idea that a guy that just used to fly a a, a thing with a stick, a paper airplane. <laughs> A paper airplane with a stick and a wire attached to it. Um, it says he can fly anything. Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> and then, 
And then on top of it, they, they give you that whole brief uh, can encounter as he's kind of getting used. He, he gets it into the air, but he doesn't entirely know what he's doing, although he manages to expertly fly it backward toward toward um, um, London Bridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He steps into the helicopter for the very first term time teaches himself how to fly it and not just be able to fly it to fly it expertly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, again, stunt flying. Yeah. No. Uh, well, yeah. Cause not only is he doing expert flying o- over uh, the Thames, then he goes back in time with the helicopter and he's in a dogfight scenario again w- with another biplane only the helicopter's not really armed, but he manages to evade the the plane by expertly landing it on a moving train. <laughs> yes, landing and taking off from a moving train. Having not been in the cockpit more than like 15 minutes. <laughs> that stunt, apparently, that was the first time a stunt like that had been done. Oh, really? Yes. Okay, well, kudos to the stunt team, but <laughs> yeah. as to how it fits into this film, that's <laughs> another story altogether. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, and, and that's, I think, where I get my sense of, uh, okay, the ridiculous may have pushed it a tad too far. Is You're now, uh, like you said, you're now asking me, uh, I'm all about suspension of disbelief, but yuck. Kind of broke me there. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little. Just a little bit. But fortunately, we got a really good soundtrack to go along with that to kind of cushion the blow. <laughs> sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was thinking is how do I get this on my phone immediately to listen, and listen to in the car? <laughs> So I guess I'm the only one between us here that it kind of wonders if the soundtrack was ever released on CD. Actually, uh, I did see that there was a soundtrack. Oh, well, there you go. So apparently your hopes can be met. I, I, I'm going to start digging around at the library or half price books or something. Garbage bins. Somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Read. Reject pile of 80s synth music. <laughs> the other, uh, everything for me also kind of revolves around this damn helicopter. I was having a hard time with this being a Biggles movie, and then, like we pointed out, the first half of the movie didn't seem to have much to do with Biggles. Um, so by the time we get to a more Biggles centric storyline, I'm kind of like, okay, well, then what happened to the. Ferguson is just the tag along at that point, but, um, but again with this helicopter, aside from the expert flying and all of that, um, there's the there's the whole face off with the the sound weapon thing, which is super unclear what exactly was happening, or how in God's name Biggles would know to do anything with whatever that was that was attached to the side of a helicopter anyways. It was apparently just like a big loudspeaker and he was using the feedback from the weapon to um, yeah, but then to destroy it. it. 
he was getting the feedback by throwing the uh, the microphone from the radio over mm-hmm. the loudspeaker, right? Which is so, how you get feedback. But he was supposedly using the feedback to to battle the dish. Yeah. There. So the sound waves are coming from the weapon, going through the microphone, then coming back out the speaker. Yeah, I, I'm kind of following it. I just don't know how he would have known to do that. He doesn't entirely know what this thing is, and he sure as hell doesn't know how it works. Right. So I don't know why he would have thought that this would do anything. Because the film was only supposed to be an hour and 39 minutes or whatever long, and... <laughs> but we're back to that whole suspension of disbelief thing again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there, there you go. 92 minutes. It had a 92-minute running time, Tom, and we were already down to the 80-minute mark. Right. Right. And then while I'm just ranting about uh, Biggles and his helicopter, then he goes and lands the helicopter um, while in the middle of fighting the biplane, more or less. I mean, the biplane's in there, but he lands it. And then the biplane, and I'm not entirely sure how it pulled it off with just a machine gun, but the biplane blows up the helicopter. Everybody saw the helicopter. Everybody knows that the uh, the the helicopter, what it looked like, and now it's still there. It's just in pieces. It blew up. It's not vaporized. We're back in 1917. No one picked up the pieces and started gluing it back together to go, hey, can we build one of these? No, because Biggles probably told him, no, no, we aren't meant to have anything like that. We need to, you know. (laughs) That, uh, uh, I can't help but bring this part up too. The celebratory, after he blew up the thing, he has a celebratory flyby over the trenches um, far away from where anybody knows that he actually did anything. Um, but as he's doing that, he's now flying the helicopter like he doesn't know how to fly the helicopter. And I'm just watching everyone cheer them on as it looks like the helicopter could take off all of their heads at some point because it keeps flying erratically <laughs> over the trench. They're like, what is happening? <laughs> What am I watching? Yeah, I, I didn't see that as being um, him not knowing how to fly it. I thought that he was more or less showboating. Even so, he's showboating over a trench full of people that really have no idea why they're happy. Because, I mean, that thing is miles and miles away. It's not like they saw him blow the thing up. Because that's what they do in movies. That's what happens. <laughs> It's like every planet in Star Wars celebrating the death of the Death Star. Yes, I was just going to bring up, you know, they destroy the Death Star. You know, the whole universe doesn't see it, but they know. It's still a sore spot for Peter Cushing. We should really. (laughs) (laughs) You know, let's talk a little bit about the cast. We can even start with Peter Cushing. He makes a fantastic, mysterious figure in the dark. And he was perfect regardless of whether he was supposed to be 100 years old or or whatever, uh, he was perfect for this role. I love that it was Peter Cushing that they were able to get for this. Well, I I mean, he has gravitas anyway. Uh, Yeah. But 
But yeah, it, if you needed this mystery man, and uh, it was particularly worth it, and, and it's where I was into the film at the beginning. The the whole he he approaches Ferguson before before anything has happened, and he he's like, I'm certain I was here at the right time, and then, mm-hmm. and, and then he he's like, oh, you know what? Never mind, never mind. He backs away, and then he knows. He only has to come back in about another hour. <laughs> <laughs> no, he he was fantastic, and I loved his lair in the tower bridge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Gets a little noisy when the bridge goes up, but that doesn't happen a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was cool. I mean, it, it, everyone likes to wonder what's up there anyways. So this was right, as now good we know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alex Hyde White, who plays Jim Ferguson, it's a name I know, and I know I've seen him in things, but I can't place him in any of those things, if that makes sense. Well, it's, since prior we were talking about the the novels a bit, and I had mentioned that uh, it sounded like the Biggles adventures were a bit like um, the novelizations of Indiana Jones that mm-hmm. uh, I read when I was younger. And interestingly enough, he actually appears in an Indiana Jones film. Does he? He does. Uh, he is in The Last Crusade as uh, young Henry. Oh, interesting. Oh, and the flashback scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, yeah, okay. But yeah, no, he's had quite the career. Yeah, I'm looking back at just, I mean, a lot of the stuff is just minor roles. I mean, he was even in Battlestar Galactica as a, as a pilot. In a couple yeah. episodes, um, he was in Buck Rogers in the 25th century for, in four episodes. He was in Voyagers. We'll see him again. He oh, he was in, he was Charles Dickens. We'll yes, definitely I, have to watch I, I that one. Just came to that myself, and, and I'm like, oh, now we gotta have we're gonna have to watch that episode no matter what. Yeah, thank you. That's where I knew him from. He was in 94's The Fantastic Four. He was Reed Richards. Oh yeah, the 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 only good Fantastic Four movie. I still haven't <laughs> seen that. What? I really haven't. Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh, I'll have to make that a thing that I do. But uh, yes, yeah, you must. He was also in Captain America too, the TV movie. Yes, Captain America. Yeah, Death to Su- as young man. I don't <laughs> as think. young man. <laughs> And who can forget his stint as Tommy in The Misadventures of Sheriff Lobo? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I knew that name kept sticking in my head. I'm like, I know I should know this person from somewhere. There you go. That's it. It was Reed Richards in the 94 Fantastic Four, the unreleased until recently, I guess, Fantastic Four movie. Well, he's in Babylon 5, too. Yeah, he had a role in there. And that actually kind of goes along with what I told you at the at the start that uh, I thought maybe this was a made for TV movie because mm. the copy I saw was in standard def. <laughs> oh right, right. So so it just that that was a thing for me too. It did it it felt like a made for TV movie more than it seemed like a theatrical release. Yeah, it probably it does actually kind of have that feel. Mm-hmm. Um. Neil Dixon is uh, James Biggles Bigglesworth. He was 
probably about perfect for this type of role. It's just the the stalwart, uh, always in control hero. Yeah, no, he looked the part of a uh, uh, of a World One or One flying ace. This looks like that was fairly early in his career too. I'm just on his wiki page, and it's only a selected filmography, but it's only the second thing listed in his selected filmography. And again, he had a, a very long career. Very long career, lot, and, and much like I just described, it, it, it's mostly TV stuff. Yeah, a lot of voice work and stuff too, which I could see. He had a fantastic voice. I see a lot of voice uh, credits for yeah, him. Yeah, no, Iron Man cartoon, Gargoyles. No, there's a lot of good stuff here. So he's been around. The funny thing is, um, seeing older pictures of him, it. He looks like somebody I've seen in more stuff, and then I don't actually, I can't say most of this stuff uh, in his the later part of his career that I'm all that familiar with. Yeah, interesting. Because it still tends to be voice work or uh, TV series stuff. Mm-hmm. So. But he's got that great voice that you recognize. I think I if, if I heard his voice in something else again, I'm going to go, Pickles! <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, uh, like, like as I'm going through this, I'm surprised he hadn't had because he's also got a look about him. I mean, he is that chiseled jaw, oh, yeah, pretty man, guys guy kind of kind of guy. So I'm surprised he didn't show up actually at a whole lot more. Yeah, he has leading man presence. Yeah, no, it's interesting. You just you, you never know, you know what the what did they pass on or miss out on that either stalled or kickstarted their career is always just, it's usually down to just like a role somewhere or a decision somewhere in their life. Right. Or maybe you just like voice work more. Kind of hard not to get on board with voice work. Those were the, uh, you know, the four main, uh, Fiona Hutchinson is Debbie is the, you know, the girlfriend of Jim Ferguson who plays, you know, a fairly large role towards the end of the film. Everyone else is just kind of minor characters great great germans and they actually spoke german there was none of that fake um oh oh you're english so i will speak with a bad german accent right but speak english no everyone if they were german they spoke german and there was no subtitles you just you you got the gist of what they were saying just by the actions like that uh the one character that was a frustration point for me too is, is the marie character uh the Mm. The love interest for Biggles. Right. Um, because she was introduced so late into the movie and the fact that she's hanging out with a bunch of nuns and it, it wasn't super clear why we cared about her as much as we were supposed to. She was to. completely inconsequential because she played absolutely no role in any of it. Right. She was there. Oh, the, uh, long enough for us to meet her and we meet her again long enough to say goodbye right uh, uh, well and there's even supposed to be this dramatic lead up to um, she may have been killed um, and she's not <laughs> and right. they they have this kind of weird pseudo religious moment kind of thing uh, as she's supposedly bleeding and being cared for and we focus heavily on, on the religious statues. And then the sun comes out and she's fine. And like, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, okay. That that felt good. <laughs> like, what 
was that? <laughs> and then Ferguson falls off the wall and he's back in his own time. Right. Uh, speaking of, let's talk about the, the time travel here. It is just a flash of blue lightning and he finds himself in 1917. I love that it's just completely random. Yes. Uh, yes, it's when he when Biggles needs his help, that's when he flashes back. And then when Biggles is effectively out of danger, that's when he flashes back to the present. And he could be anywhere doing anything when it happens. And that does lead to some, I thought, kind of fun moments. I, I like the uh, the launch party where he... he, he Feels the, uh, the 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 energy, and he trips behind the the table or the sign or whatever. And as far as the the launch party is concerned, he falls, and then he, when he gets up, he's completely covered in oil and dirt, and you know, an entire he he's gone through a dog fight in his time, right, in his life. But as far as everyone else is concerned, he turned blue, fell down, got up, and suddenly he's covered in in uh, plain oil. Yeah, I was never uh, like. I was never entirely clear who saw what when, when that was supposed to be happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you definitely got the impression the woman he was talking to saw something. And she kinda, saw something. She reacted to something, you know, some spark or something. But that same scene that you're describing, was it your impression that he went behind the thing to hide from what was about to happen? I think that was just a crap effect like they didn't know how to do it effectively so they had him duck down behind this thing and then he's gone yeah i think well and for them it was just like i said it was just he tripped and then got back up right and in his time he of course had this who knows how long adventure so yes i think it was just a way to hide his flash from the time from everybody else because he would be gone in like a for at least a blink of for a second for a blink of an eye or something like that yeah i got what they were trying to do it just uh, i i couldn't help but laugh in the moment i'm like wow they cheaped out (laughs) (laughs) one of his returns to the present led to a moment that i thought was really funny uh debbie and the co-worker chuck have traveled to england to find out what the hell's going on with jim Right. You know, they've traveled from New York or wherever they are, Chicago, L.A. I, I forget what city they were supposed to be in. An American city. <laughs> yes, America. Chuck thinks that what's wrong with him is he's had some sort of mental breakdown. He's been reading a giant book called Diseases of the Mind. And so he and Debbie have gone to England. They've, they've, they've tracked him down to the, the Tower Hotel. He has just returned from the past where he has had to uh, hide as a nun because he, he goes back wearing nothing but a towel and so they, right. they give him some clothes to wear all they have because they're in a convent is a nun's outfit is a habit but anyway so he is uh, wearing an, a, a nun's habit mm-hmm. he is uh, trying to run to get to the truck that Biggles and his team are driving off in when he flashes back to the present slamming into the door just as uh, Debbie and Chuck get there and Debbie starts to open the door. He's like, are you okay? What's going on? And he opens the door. He's standing there still in the habit. And Chuck's response, he's become a religious transvestite. <laughs> and then he sees 
the the helmet and weapon that uh, William Rainan provided him earlier, late in, oh my god, a religious transvestite bank robber. That's not even in the book! <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Just Chuck's delivery of that line when he first sees him about being a religious transvestite. It's like, that, it made me chuckle. <laughs> well, uh, Chuck. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, uh, he, that character alone was just, uh, he, he was pure 80s fodder. Yeah, he, oh he, yeah. He, he, he's the fat clown guy, the one that you're going to get. Uh, and, and he ran the entire gambit from um, he was the misogynistic, lewd, uh, crude guy. Um, he was clearly the obese overeater guy. And then he's also the comic relief guy. I mean, he hit all of the spots that, you know, hey, we need one of these. Let's just have one guy do all of those parts. Right. <laughs> yep. But yes, overall, despite the fact that it is absolutely crazy, I had a fun time watching the movie. And I even enjoyed the soundtrack. <laughs> We're going to have to disagree on the soundtrack part. But uh, <laughs> but much as like spending this year uh, in time travel, one of the things that, that we want to make sure that we're talking about, which you, you brought up, is the whole, okay, time... In this case, time travel is entirely a MacGuffin in the film. It is just, you don't get to understand how it works. It's not really instrumental to the plot other than the fact that it is the bridge that brings these characters to each other. Yep. That's it. You're not supposed to think about it any more than that. You don't know why it happens. We still don't know what a time twin is. <laughs> But uh, but it is an interesting way to use this as a plot device to tell their story. Um, was it necessary? Could you do it in this another way? Maybe. Um, so as time travel movies go, I don't know that this would be remembered for the time travel component so much. No, no. It just wanted the absurdity part uh, of it all. Yes, and I think that's probably the, the best description of why it's there is just it needed something because you could have erased the time travel part and made this a, a probably a fun adventure film with just Biggles trying to destroy the German sound weapon. Right. And, and the, the Ferguson character could have even just been some sidekick kick guy that he picked up who wasn't the old trope that, that he's the, the every man that gets caught up in the adventure. Yeah, exactly. I'm not a soldier. Right. Because that was the other aspect of all this, too, is Fergan, Ferguson for being w what I assume was like an ad exec of some kind. Um, pretty capable man. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, he seemed to be comfortable in every situation, including firearms, explosives, flying, hanging out of helicopters. Yeah. <laughs> That's not something just anybody does. Repelling down Tower Bridge. Yep, yeah. sliding down 30-foot uh, ladders uh, without thinking about it. Leaping across alleys, you know, leaping from one rooftop. building to another, yeah. rooftop yeah. to another, yes. Yeah, no, yeah, so for, for, for a guy that was hawking frozen foods... <laughs> <laughs> Just when, when this whole thing started, uh, yeah, he seems to adapt pretty quickly. 
apparently the 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 scene where he explains about his uh, parkour ha- uh, was cut out from this from the film. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, since, since we're clearly trying to bring this in for a landing, um, no, it, it, it's a fun, absurd, silly film that. Um, just the sheer amount of stuff that it throws at you begs to be watched at least once. So, but yeah, I I don't know that I'll put putting this on my regular viewing list. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's see. Note to self: cancel Blu-ray for Tom's birthday. <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> Man, dodge that one. <laughs> Did you manage to find any reviews for this one? Oh, yeah, reviews. And and as we have had such a good history with some of our reviews, as seems typical for the, like, 70s and 80s, it's more a lot of people just rehashing the plot as opposed to actually telling you anything about it. Um, We do have a review from Variety, uh, this one from December 31st of 1985. Um I don't know if I've got the author of that particular review. Um, it just says variety staff. But uh, the, tag, the headline of this is this stylish romp combining World War, World War I heroics and the currently in vogue plot device of time travel has all the markings of a solid draw in countries where older audiences are familiar with the Fictional hero from Captain W.E. John's series of Biggles books. That's as much of a review from Variety as it got. The rest of it is just a synopsis. Gotcha. Um, If we cut over to the L.A. Times, though, from January 29th of 1988. Did I catch that right? Mm -hmm. No, because that would be the U.S. release. Uh, okay, date. that's the U.S. release. So Variety is hitting it back when it was released in U.K. Mm-hmm. Um, so Los Angeles Times, uh, this is Sheila Benson, also goes on rather quite the uh, obvious uh, retelling of the story, but then uh, ends it with, uh, but with a cheesy plot, the world's worst and most intrusive music. <laughs> Kudos, Sheila. (laughs) And time travel giving everyone whiplash. (laughs) There's no time to savor the present or the past or the incongruities of one seen by the other. So the absurdity to which we can enjoy was a bit jarring for Sheila. (laughs) Sounds like it. And and to that point, uh, like, like I said, we... They kind of dismiss the notion of any sort of we're time traveling. There, there's no 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 one is losing any sleep over the fact that that has happened. They don't even discuss it for the most part. And, and, and then the whole idea that we're never in one time with one of the characters out of time enough to thoroughly enjoy that. We're mm. we're, we're more on to the adventure. And this is like what you and I are talking. You could have probably lifted the time travel component out of this and just had a good adventure story. Yeah. I think that might have actually smoothed it out a little bit for me. Yeah, and I think uh, a lot of people would have been a little bit more happier with it being based on the Biggles character. I know that was a, a, a sticking point for a lot of people when it was released, that they felt like it really kind of 
threw a pie in the face of the Biggles books by yeah. throwing in this time travel and and making him like you were saying, you know, a secondary character. Yeah, and, and I mean, if Biggles is the hero of this book line, to throw the um, the no name American ad exec guy as your hero, for lack of a better term, had to have been a bit off putting for those that were fans of the books. Yes, yes. I have to guess. Well, I don't have anything else to say. You, any closing thoughts? No, I mean, it is a crazy ride. It is totally 80s. Um, if you enjoy anything about the 80s or just want to go see what was wrong with the 80s, go ahead and watch this film. You, you will enjoy it for that. All right, that will do it. If you've seen Biggles Adventure in Time, please let us know what you thought. Which side of this... Uh, of this discussion do you fall i'd love to hear your thoughts Uh, yeah 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 definitely (laughs) uh we'll be back in a couple weeks taking a much uh a a very different turn into a film i believe we're gonna look at i don't forget what year it came out uh 72 1972's slaughterhouse five this is going to be an interesting one this is one we've both heard about yeah Uh, i think i've heard about the book Yes. (laughs) More than I've heard about the film, but I'm really curious to see this. This sounds like a book I was supposed to read in high school and didn't. That's exactly, I think, what this was. This was, you know, uh, I I know people in like AP classes or something were reading this book or something. Right. Right. So I'm looking forward to watching the film. The title alone begs the watch. So, um, and we probably sound like simps for not having. Seen this before, but as it relates to time travel, we're good. Guess my last question to you is: Do you want to be a hero? <laughs> <laughs>